Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Presbyterian and Reformed Churchman. I'm Pastor George, and I'm a slacker because I don't have an interview for you this week. I've taken another week off, but what I'm going to play for you, I wanted to play for the last couple of months. It's the Q&A session from the Gospel Reformation Network Conference that was held in May, just a little over a month before General Assembly. So what you're going to hear here is Mel Duncan moderates a discussion between John Payne, Jonathan Master, Harry Reeder, David Strain, Kevin DeYoung, Rick Phillips, and Christopher Gordon. As a member of the General Council of the GRN, I seek to further the mission, vision, and purpose of the GRN, which is to cultivate healthy Reformed churches within the Presbyterian Church in America. I do have permission to play this clip on Presbyterian and Reformed churchmen. At the end of the Q&A session, I put in there a segment from Ike Reeder, the president of Birmingham Theological Seminary, on a new program for ruling elders that we've explained here on this program before, but I wanted to get that out to you again as a new semester will be starting. And then there's some unsolicited comments from Dr. O. Palmer Robertson about theological education and a plug for BTS, which was uh, just fun. So enjoy and rest assured I'll have some more interviews for you in the weeks to come. Well, John, uh, we're uh, halfway through day one of the GRN conference. We're talking about the PCA at 50. What are some thoughts you have about the, the PCA as we start our, our next half century together this year? Thanks, Mel. Uh, it seems that everybody's talking about uh, institutional fidelity these days, whether it's um, a company, um, a college, um, a church, a denomination, uh, how do we continue to stay faithful uh, in the future, particularly with uh, the moral revolution raging all around us? And uh, so, you know, while there are so many things to celebrate and be encouraged by over the last 50 years of the PCA, we are entering into uh, not only our next 50 years, but uh, a very new day. Um, people are speaking about things being Orwellian. Um, that, that may not even be strong enough of a word for the kinds of things happening in our culture these days. Uh, and so I'm, I'm excited for the, the new challenges that we will have to be uh, courageous in our, um, in our preaching, in our, our worship, in our witness. Uh, it's, it's a new day where it's not easy to be a Christian anymore in the United States of America. 
Uh, that's, that's true um, in the South uh, as it is in other parts of, of the country. And so I'm, I'm excited for uh, a new day where uh, there's a lot of clarity between who is a Christian and who is not a Christian, who is uh, for Christ and who is not for Christ. And uh, I think that's going to uh, be a, a time for us to shine as a denomination if indeed we uh, make that stand and continue to be clear in our, our gospel witness. Dr. Phillips, I'm going to go to you next. How would you answer that question? We were just observing that we all have brown shoes on our side, and you all have black shoes on your side. And, and Dr. Phillips, what eschatological significance I'm, I'm thinking does that so, Dr. Seuss would make something of it, I think. But, <laughs> you, you know, I, I think that um, the, the PCA that I came into and that had such an impact on my life had an a, a unshakable conviction in the power of God's word. And we were message men. And I think there's not much doubt that that conviction has wavered in the PCA. And we've become method men, or at least we've become more that way. And if we, if we believe that God will sovereignly, supernaturally bless his word, if only we will proclaim it lovingly but fearlessly, we will be enormously relevant. If we lose that and become method men and start talking about a messy Bible as we've been doing and, and lose our conviction that, that there's a living God. I, I, I've been preaching Jeremiah. He tells Jeremiah, I am watching over my word to perform it. That there's a living God attending to his word with power. It's like Ezekiel 37. It's the valley of the dry bones. And if we will preach it, there will be life. I, I pray that that, that that is actually our legacy. And I think the recovery of that conviction is the most important thing for our vitality and our relevance in the season to come. So uh, I don't know what the question was, but that's my answer. No, I, <laughs> um, but we're going to give y'all an opportunity to ask some questions from the floor, but I want to ask one of our speakers from this morning who's relatively new to the PCA, PCA and Old Princeton. So, how are we doing? Well, I'm wearing brown shoes, by the way, Rick. <laughs> Just <laughs> FYI. <laughs> well, Burgundy, okay. Um, it, that's a, so how, are we, how do we compare to, yeah. to the emphases of Old Princeton? I yeah. think in some ways the PCA has always stood for the inerrancy of Scripture, and that's been a hallmark of our denomination. I think what, what Dr. Phillips just said about the sufficiency of Scripture, that, that being a, a message man, that, is, that, that has probably waned. And certainly uh, I, I would argue that with our convictions about the inerrancy of Scripture, we should tie those convictions to a conviction of the sufficiency of scripture. So in that sense, there's a, there's a disconnect. The bigger disconnect that I sense is at the level of our commitment to biblical piety. Uh, one of the things that is impossible to miss when you look at some of these men from the first 50 years at Princeton Seminary is their, their dedication to uh, following what the scriptures say with respect to worship, with respect to their lives, with, with respect to the shape of their, of their ministries. A and I think in general, we, we believe that those issues are up for grabs 
in a way that they would not now have. Now flesh that out a little bit. I, I, there, there are any number of examples, but I'll give one that I didn't touch on this, this morning just because of time. But if you were to look, for instance, at what they repeatedly teach, for instance, regarding the Lord's Day, you, you could feel like you're walking into a different world from the ecclesiastical context in which we find ourselves. It's just but, not in our conversation. That's enough. right. That's right. So, yeah. so that's a marked difference, yeah. I would say. Yeah. Uh, but they had much greater clarity on those things. But uh, I, I thank God. I mean, you, you, you asked the question, a more general question about 50th anniversary and, and thoughts. I, my first thought is just tremendous gratitude to the Lord. Uh, for, for the many ways in which he continues to be at work through us in the midst of our sinfulness and, and has been at work in powerful ways in the past. Dr. Reeder, do you want to give us some thoughts on the PCA at 50? Well, I'll just do it briefly, but I do. Um, have, you know, Rick, have you ever felt like the world was a black tuxedo and you were a pair of brown shoes? Have you ever felt that before? <laughs> I just don't know, I was trying to I was trying to exegete the brown shoe uh, comment and I'm, I'm, Dr. Reeder I'm, as a professional interpreter of Dr. Phillips I don't think he's ever thought of that okay. <laughs> that's right and you, and you get paid to do that I do yeah I do and if you don't do it well you don't have well, a I job do, I do yeah. a pretty good job at yeah it. no you do so uh, to something much more serious I think uh, moorings are crucial and our moorings as the PCA came from what I think was a faithful, uh, focused statement that we're going to be, by God's grace, um, faithful to the scriptures, true to the Reformed faith, and fulfill the Great Commission. And um, there is no doubt, as you look at church history, there is no doubt, as you look at um, the Bible, just go take on the book of Judges, um, that the 40 to 80 year mark are, uh, it, are moments that are precarious. But they're also phenomenal moments to affirm the truth that we were established with. You know, you, you learn from the past, but you don't live in the past. But you take the truth that you learned in the past and you live it in the present. And that's what marks out and changes the future. And, um, and I think we have an opportunity to do that. I am more encouraged now than I was three years ago um, I, for multiple reasons, not the least of which are some of these young pastors that I meet here uh, through the GRN, through the various seminaries. I mean, I see the seminaries that are tying into, hey, we do want to be, dare I say Princeton uh, language, we do want to be new side old school. We do want to do that because we believe that's faithful to God's word. So we've marked out the old paths and we want to walk on, on them with a new vigor. And I actually am somewhat, well, more than somewhat, I'm, I'm, I'm encouraged. And I don't, I probably won't be around to see what uh, the Lord ultimately does, but I, uh, I sense that he may be doing something. And I believe with no sense of grandiosity here, I believe, I believe that the Lord, um, I believe that the PCA is theologically and philosophically situated to be used of the Lord uh, in, in, this, in these days of 
of the attempt to deconstruct Western civilization or historically Christendom. I believe that that, I believe we're well situated and by God's grace, perhaps he will empower and enable us to be faithful. It's wonderful. Um, David, do you want to weigh in on that question, the PCA at 50? Yeah, I, I, I don't have a whole lot more to add. I, I'm so uh, incredibly grateful for the mentors and the models of ministry um, that that have shaped me, that are, that are PCA, um, and... Uh, the shoulders that I get to, that I get to stand on. I think that, as has been said, Harry just said it. That the PCA has so many resources and such a great opportunity to be the Lord's instrument, not the only instrument, but an instrument in the hand of God to bring the gospel uh, to a new generation. Um, we've got to continue to press, and this is the part of the mission of the GRN to press for clarity in, in our message, uh, to have a, a clear, robust, urgent, passionate gospel. Uh, I, I, one of my concerns as I think about the, the, the next 50 years, and, and I, don't have, I don't have data, I don't have objective um, a criteria by which to make this assessment. It's just an instinct that may be wrong. But I worry, actually, that there's a general decline of biblical literacy, not just in our pulpits, though I think that may be true, but especially in our pews. And we are very focused on ministerial piety, and proficiency and fidelity, and the same for our ruling elders, and rightly so. But I have a, a growing sense of concern that our people do not know, do not love the Bible, that our church members are actually a little intimidated by the Scriptures. They're scared to handle it themselves. Uh, and I, I can't tell you how many how many, quote, Bible studies I, I see. I have church members that tell me about their Bible study, and I ask them what they're studying, and it's knowing God, or it's um, so, some excellent, worthy Christian literature, but they're not actually studying the Bible. And I, I, I think if there's, if we are to be useful, and I was so incredibly grateful for Dr. Lilbach's address on revival, because I think that is a, an emphasis that has been missing, that we, we have to start reaffirming old school, new side. We believe in our confessional standards, but we are inveterate supernaturalists who long to see God work by His Spirit to use His Word to bring renewal to the church and salvation to the ends of the earth in, in mighty ways. But if that's to happen, our people have got to know and love the Bible. Uh, so that's one of my burdens. So one of our panel members is not a member of the PCA. We're so glad to have Chris Gordon with us, who's a URC minister from the West Coast. Your impressions of the PCA as someone not within her, what, what are your thoughts? 
Well, um, I don't know how familiar people are with the URC, probably not here too much. It's the Dutch Reform Group. And um, I, I guess I want to say we need you. <laughs> we need the encouragement of the PCA to stay confessional in our day. We've already been through this struggle, um, you know, kind of originates out of the progressive cultural accommodation, liberal theology that came out of the Christian Reformed Church. I'm going to talk about some of that tomorrow and what that caused, the conflicts, the difficulties, the struggles, and what it did to the church. And um, so I have a great interest. Uh, I have many friends here. John's a dear, dear friend. And when he asked me to speak, I thought, well, if I can, if I can be any part of an encouragement to this group, to you, brothers and sisters, to stay strong confessionally, biblically, and preach the gospel with clarity. You know, I'm, I'm going to be here to do that. I love you, brothers and sisters, and I'm ready for a group hug, you know? I, I need you guys, so. <laughs> Thank you, Chris. Well, what we'd like to do now is maybe some of you have a question. Uh, would, would, if you do, would you just be so kind as to stand up and tell us your name and where you're from and, and ask us a question? And while they're getting ready to do that, Kevin, I don't know about the shoe issue. I, I think that's, I think black shoes are okay. What is your position on that? Diversity. All right, all right, all right. All right, brother, tell us your name and your question. I think we've come a long way and are moving hard in that direction. I think for many, particularly historic churches of a prior generation, that was just not part of the idea of being an elder. And so if you've got a guy who's been an elder for 50 years and he became an elder in an environment where shepherding was not an expectation, good luck getting him to change. But I think Tim Whitmer's great work uh, coming out of Westminster is, I, I, I wasn't here last night or this morning because I was doing an elder training class last night. And one of the books we're reading is Tim Whitmer's book on, on the shepherding elder. And it's just part of, it's just part of growing our churches into, our, into biblical and our reformed heritage. It's just like family worship. Forty years ago, nobody ever mentioned, I never heard about family worship. Uh, and now we, it's, it's something that we, we treat as, you know, essential. And that, that's because we're, we're growing off the benefit of a previous generation. Uh, and, and I do think, so I, I'm, I'm encouraged, but what we need is we need, we need models, we need methodologies, we need a commitment from the churches. But I actually think that there's a, a, a rapid growth of the embrace of that. It's interesting, as we look at new members, we've been taking in a bunch of new members, and it used to be that almost everybody who came to our church was there for the worship and the preaching. And we still get tons of that. But in recent years, we're getting people who are coming for sound eldership. And they're wise. Because, you know, the, the, if you have a crisis in your family, the soundness of the shepherding in your church is a big deal. And people are having bad experiences, I think particularly in the YRR world, the Young Restless and Reform world, Kevin's world. The... Um, the <laughs> 
And, um, and, I, and I think and the other thing is that, you know, we're like the only sound institution left in society. So the you know, obligations on the church were not as great two generations ago. You know, they had families and communities. And now, in the vast brokenness of our society, it's really essential that we, we do these things extremely well. And I, I have to say I'm generally encouraged. I think there's a strong movement in that direction. We are, we are, we're, we're very imperfect, but I'm, I'm encouraged. Next question. Brother, name and where are you from? Wilson Van Hooser, Stillwater, Oklahoma. Used to be an audio guy, so I gotta say, let's go, folks. There we go. Uh, <laughs> all right. When we talk about, thank you for talking about sufficiency of Scripture and think about the sufficiency of the gospel. But all Chris. the floor presbyterians were examining them, were looking at ministry, yeah, their ministries, they will say, yes, amen. But only one thing is described as the doulos of God, which is the gospel. So how do we get, and I'm saying, yeah, yes, the Congress, absolutely, but how can we make sure we get doulos as the emphasis of our ministries and our churches, rather than just a lip service, yes, it's sufficiency of scripture, but then it's just boring or whatever else. Long-winded question, Kevin. So I think the question is about the, the power of preaching and the gospel, not merely a theological uh, check off the box about the sufficiency of Scripture. Yeah, and maybe even more particularly, uh, really making sure the emphasis of our okay. history, rather than just uh, So I think it was a a John Stott sermon, at least this was told to me, that he had a famous sermon, Jesus is magnetic. To use a, a different metaphor, I often think, what is the, the flag we're flying over our church? And we are Presbyterians, amen. And yet, if that's the, I mean, the biggest flag, you know who you'll get, Presbyterians, cool, love them. You'll get people who are into Presbyterian theology and ecclesiology, good, we're all into that. We wanna be into that because we're, we're into Jesus. So you, you, what you win them with is what you win them to. And now we know that adage as sort of a, a warning against attractional models of ministry, the smoke machines or the puppets or whatever, and you come and that's what you win them with. You, but it's also true that if we're not winning our people with the scriptures, with deep into the word of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ, I met Jesus here. I walk out of here loving Jesus more. And then as you do that, of course you love Jesus more when you learn about Tulip and when you learn about the solas and when you do an in-depth Bible study. So yes and amen to everything that, that these brothers have said, and I, I trust that most of our churches do this well already, but it is, it is a, a danger, and I think there's a danger too, I'm speaking here to people like me, I teach systematic theology, teaching people like us, pastors, we don't just want experts 
in Turretin, Bovink, Westminster, BCO, RAO, BTO, Bachman Turner, whatever. We want experts in the scripture. And there is a sort of, what's your, what's your, what's your currency? I talk to this all the time with, some of my best friends are Baptists. I know it sounds like a support group, but some of my best friends are Baptists. And the currency, if I can generalize, in a lot of Baptist gatherings, even they would say, the size of your church, and sort of dynamism as an orator. I said, well, I think our currency is you get in the room if you know your theology. And we don't want to change that, but it can make, or at least not encourage, dynamic preaching, a really uh, a love, first of all, for Scripture, the sort of piety that Jonathan's talking about becomes suspect, because the currency that gets you in the room is the systematic theology you know, the BCO that you know how to handle, and you know how to get things done uh, at, at the assembly, which we need all of that, you hear me. But the dunamis, the power, I would commend reading uh, James Alexander, son of Archibald Alexander, his book on preaching, which is not the book you give to someone starting out preaching, because it doesn't really help you put a sermon together. But for people like us, I just read it for the first time, I'm sort of embarrassed to say, this past year, and it was so helpful to just remind me about what you're saying, the power of the gospel. Let us never tire of telling people about Jesus. John? Lodged right in our confession is one of the most beautiful uh, confidence-building words uh, in relation to the means of grace. And that's the word effectual. It's the word effectual. Um, go through, uh, you know, Westminster Shorter Catechism in the 80s and 90s, and go through in the larger catechisms in the 150s and 60s and 70s, and uh, just look at how the word and sacraments and prayer are described these are the means to which God has attached his saving promises. Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God and salvation. The gospel is the power. The gospel is clearly, most clearly, uh, coming through the faithful preaching of the word and uh, the water and bread and wine of baptism and the Lord's Supper. And so, do we believe that? That's, that's the question. Do we believe that? And as we become more and more cultural exiles as committed Christians, um, do we believe that God will continue to build his church through the means that the apostles used in a cultural context much more difficult than our own? Will we continue to use them and have the confidence in them? That's one of the the problems in a denomination or a, a parachurch, when they begin to want to accommodate the culture and, and, and say what will please the culture and, and make friends with the culture, and maybe with all the best intentions, while slowly moving away, word and sacrament ministry. Uh, I see that as, as something that we need to return to. You'll hear me um, talking about this tomorrow in terms of John Willison's uh, commitment to a, a strong um, understanding and practice of the Lord's Supper, which I find so many of our churches, you said it earlier, the, the, the detachment from Lord's Day piety 
and piety connected to our ecclesiology uh, is a, a real problem that's spreading all throughout evangelicalism and it's impacted the PCA. I think maybe 10% of our churches have evening worship. Oh, don't talk about evening worship. Don't do that. That's legalistic. It's not legalistic. It's a question we ask. Why, why do we no longer have evening worship? Why 30 years ago would a large percentage of our churches have evening worship and today not? Is that because we've become more spiritual? Is it because we need less preaching and sacraments? I mean, what, what is it? So I think we need to question ourselves on these things and other things where we are uh, perhaps weak or faltering and say, how do we get back to a ministry that says, yes, I believe in the power of the gospel through the means of grace, and how can we have more of that and not less? How can we focus on that more and not less? Good. Next question. Yes, sir. Yeah, where are you from? Just right around here. Uh, my question was exactly what you were saying. How do we get back to that piety of the Lord's Day? How do we train the Lord's Day as a congregation? Somebody else want to take that, David? As a young, as a young Christian, um, I encountered Happy Sabbath fellowship long before I had theological categories for it. Uh, and, and the churches that I found myself in as a college kid practiced Lord's Day hospitality, morning and evening worship. It was not, it was warm and joyful. Uh, and I found myself as a, as a college kid sort of longing for Sunday. And later on, as God worked by his word in my convictions, I, I came to understand a, a theology of the Lord's Day. But sometimes, uh, particularly the practice, it, a, a well-spent Sabbath is something better caught than taught. You can say that, understand what I mean. We, let's teach it. Often an issue is that we are embarrassed by our our confessional teaching on the Sabbath day, and you know the one thing you you won't likely hear a a sermon at a presbytery on is the fourth commandment. Um, for example, is it would be divisive, which is shocking to me. That that you know, so so let's teach it. Let's be unapologetic about it. Be, let's affirm that. The, the first day of the week is the Christian Sabbath and should be spent in deeds of necessity and mercy, works of worship and rest, to the glory and honor of God. But let's, let's work to foster a culture in our congregations that commends its beauty and utility so that people say, I, I love this. Much of what we try to accomplish by our programs in our churches, small group ministry, for example, which is good and we have in our church and I'd commend, you know, that we try to get done, you know, we're looking to foster fellowship and community and deep connection and all of that would actually happen organically if our churches had a, a positive 
healthy vision and culture of Sabbath observance. Good. Nick, can I make a brief comment? Yeah. I think we have a great opportunity for that. If your church is like mine, we have had such an influx of young families, 30-year-old couples starting their family. We have so many pregnant women in our church at any time. And they are they're coming out of brokenness. And they're looking to be led by faithful, godly men. And so for us to say to them, okay, here's how you do family worship. And then they do it. Uh, here's how we do the Lord's Day. We have such an opportunity, but it needs to be joyful, like you're saying. It needs to be... Uh, 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 positive. It, 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 we bring them into our own homes and show them how we do these things. So we, it's, it's vitally important that we recapture the, the, the godly piety and the practices of the piety of, of biblical Christianity and of our heritage. But we have a golden opportunity right now because they're coming to our church. They want to know how to raise children. They want to know how to do everything. And if we just in a loving, joyful way introduce them into the historic Christian faith and its practices, then a generation from now, uh, we will reap a real harvest out of that. So I think right now is the time for us to really be focused on those things. Good. Next question, brother. Pick it up where you just left off. What directions does the PCA give? Churches, churches give family to do again and facilitate family worship. What's the goal and what's the objective of the denomination? I think this is important by the way. Who wants to take that? I, I don't know if the PCA as a denomination directs that. I, I think would mainly look to the good ministries that provide resources and you, you think of brothers like Joel Beakey who family worship is at the very heart of, of so much of his publishing and teaching ministry Jason Halopoulos on our council has written on family worship uh, it's something that that leaders need to cultivate in the public life of every local church Testing. There we go. So, um, yeah, uh, Jason Halopoulos, um, Terry Johnson has an excellent book on uh, family worship. I think those would be helpful. Um, I will now put in a plug for the best discipleship tool that's ever been invented in the providence of God, uh, and that is the Shorter Catechism. Uh, for some reason, we don't have that as a go-to. I don't even think many times we really train our pastors to go to uh, the Shorter Catechism. As I understand it, I stood at the Jerusalem Chamber just a couple of weeks ago, and um, as I understand it, once they finished that confession, they said, well, we need to teach, pastors need to teach elders. So they got the larger catechism, and, uh, and then they, for fathers to teach their family sound doctrine, they got the Shorter Catechism. Now, um, I certainly want worship, uh, family worship that just goes through books of the Bible together. But I think uh, uh, getting your family through the Shorter Catechism uh, is a, it can become a joyful opportunity. Secondly, if I may just say a couple of words about a couple of things, I'll be brief. Um, 
I do not want to undo what uh, Kevin said, that I don't think this, the question about the power of the gospel, uh, don't want to just become a, a systematic theology answer, but there is a category that I am concerned about. Uh, when the GRN came into existence, the, the battle was really over, what is the reformed view of sanctification? And we went to work on it. And while I do believe what was said today is accurate, we're still dealing with the issues of sanctification in the progressive Christianity movement that's impacting the evangelical church. But I believe that the, the biggest challenge at the moment um, is regeneration. Do we really believe the power of sin has been broken? And then how do you engage in discipleship from your confidence, I don't have to sin. It doesn't mean I won't sin, but I don't have to sin. I am no longer under his dominion. I'll be speaking about this to some degree uh, tonight and trying to follow up on the really encouraging uh, sermon that Kevin gave uh, to us in this area of uh, antinomianism. So I would, um, I really believe we're in a little bit of the new side moment. Uh, you must be born again. And what does that mean to be born again? Um, then finally, brother, uh, I believe that the issue of shepherding, uh, I have simply found if you give the biblical vision, the biblical insight and the vision that the, that the great calling of a ruling elder is shepherding, certainly administration is part of overseeing the processes of the church but the great calling is shepherding. Then, here's where I think some of us fail, some of us, me, fail. We give that vision, the elders start to buy in, but when we talk about eldering, we talk about administrative elderling. In other words, we don't really speak of the elder as shepherd. I'm not talking about flattering anyone elder. We just don't speak about the, we talk about, well, he gave leadership to this committee. He gave leadership to that. And I, don't, I know there's things that need to be said, but we don't really speak in those encouraging ways of the impact of elders who embrace the opportunity to shepherd the flock. And um, so I think we work against ourselves. We give the vision, but we really talk about the board of directors concept of an elder more than we talk about the shepherding of the elder itself. Thank please. Yeah. Uh, just two very, very simple things that have been said to me that I find helpful that I try to say to my people about family worship in particular. Uh, number one, never stop starting. Never stop starting. Uh, number two, don't try to do too much when you start. Ten minutes, keep it simple. You don't expect, you know, a 35-minute roundtable, in-depth Bible study with flowing questions and answers and children who are intrigued and filled with wonder at the pearls of wisdom that drop uh, from your lips. You know, expect temper tantrums and, and frustration and confusion and mess and, and then do it again tomorrow. And, and it's, it's, it's like what they talk about when you're investing. I know nothing about investing, but 
a CPA once told me, you know, when you invest for retirement, you're, you're looking at a 35-year plan. You're, don't, don't freak out with every up and down of the stock market. And so, so it's going to get ugly and weird and frustrating and less than, it's never going to be ideal. And you're going to get discouraged if you think that a weekend you've got family worship down and you've mastered it. Um, but if you quit at that point, it, you've sort of missed it. This is a this is a years and years and years of 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 just trying to keep tapping the same nail in the same head over and over and over. So never stop starting, and and start modestly and and keep going. Amen to never stop starting. Uh, the, the family worship is the responsibility of the husband, but it requires the mommy. The mommy is the key to family worship. If she, cause if she organizes the kids, if the mother's bought into it, because it's not easy, you can do more than 10 minutes, David. You can sing a hymn, you know. But uh, the, the, we need the mothers to really buy into it because they're the ones who can get the, you know, those, uh, those cats that are our children. They herd them all the time. And I really, I, I think it's a huge opportunity for, for feminine partnership with her husbands. Uh, it's impossible without your wife really being the person who sets the table for you on that. And I praise God for my wife's commitment to that. I think the reason why the PCA doesn't have those resources is it's, that we don't have unanimity on that. This would be a controversial subject in our presbyteries. The PCA as a denomination does not widely have this conviction is the reason we don't have those things. All right, one last question. Brother, you rise. For what purpose do you rise at microphone? David Cummings, Westminster Presbyterian in Southwest Virginia. We've already had three faithful, healthy, conservative churches leave Westminster Presbyterian because of concerns that there's continuing supporters of side B homosexuality in the PCA. And um, so I guess two aspects of the question, what, we do, what do you say to people who want to be faithful and therefore thinking of leaving because of the existing side B persons? And then the question my elders asked me is uh, what actions would communicate to you that would indicate that it's a turning point and it would be honoring the Lord Jesus to form a separate denomination? Dr. Payne? I think for all, I think for all of us, um, this last five or six years has uh, been extraordinary, a, a storm of sorts. We've all learned words like concupiscence. Um, you know, when did everybody in the room understand that word until now, right? Um, the sexual revolution has overwhelmed our, our culture. Uh, it has caused churches to have to answer questions and talk about things they'd never talked about before as, as a leadership. Um, the things that our own children are facing, questions they're asking. Um, and so I think that on one level, we want to say as a denomination, as we look at the whole way we've responded totally uh, in terms of the uh, committee report on human sexuality, which was strong, 
which uh, includes the pressure by networks like the GRN to uh, remove side B gay Christianity from the denomination. There are other networks and other voices as well, which we thank the Lord for. And the overtures that have come up. Uh, and while there has been a struggle to try to get the language right, and it's frustrating, and, and, and Presbyterianism can be very frustrating. Can I get an amen to that? Um, I think we have, we have stood firm. And overall, we've stood firm. And, I, and I, I think that with Memorial and Greg Johnson departing from the PCA, um, that to many of us has been very encouraging because they have seen that their philosophy, um, their ideas about human sexuality are different than those that are in our confession and, and, and what we believe our Bible teaches. And so uh, I, I think looking at it from 30,000 feet, there's much to be encouraged about in the way the PCA has responded to all of this. Does that mean that there aren't still pockets of less outspoken presbyters who have sympathies with side B? Well, uh, of course there are still those pockets. Uh, but I think as we have been growing in our understanding of these matters, as we have been growing in our understanding of sanctification, um, Harry is going to be preaching tonight on the, the whole gospel for the whole man, our understanding of human depravity versus, you know, one who's regenerated now in the process of sanctification. What does that mean in terms of those who are struggling with same-sex attraction? I mean, the, these are, are questions. I mean, I've been in ministry over, over 23 years as an ordained minister, and it hasn't been until the last four or five that I have personally delved deep into these questions to try to answer them and, and, and also teach my own congregation. So I would say to those who are frustrated and ready to leave that you ought to be a little more patient at this point, that there are good things happening. We've seen some progress. We've had a couple of good general assemblies. And um, it's not time to go. It's not time to go. It's time to, to, con to continue to seek to make the, the PCA a healthy and reformed denomination in the midst of, of a moral revolution where every church and every denomination is having to handle these kinds of difficult questions. So. Uh, I, I think they left too soon. They're our brothers. We have to see things through. And this is a good example of it. And we're so alarmed. I personally, it blew my mind when Revoice 2018 hit. I couldn't believe it. And there's a shock factor. If the PCA had not taken a stand against it, ultimately, I would be one of those who left. But I think our brothers left too soon. We gotta, we gotta stand together. We gotta, we gotta see through things. The, the, I believe the side B door is closed in the PCA. Study committee report could not have been clearer. The uh, memorial press leaving is an important thing. The national, the other one is the response of Missouri Presbytery to the Spec One. Missouri Presbytery has come back and said we erred in our treatment of Greg Johnson. So while you may find somebody out there, it'd be really hard to come into the PCA side B right now. In fact, I don't think it'd be possible. Would it be nice if we nailed the door shut? Yes, but we're the PCA. We don't have the will to do that. But I mean, I mean, you know, the, two thirds of the presbyteries on a controversial issue, because the way our presbyteries are, are configured, is a really high threshold. But I think the side B door is closed. We should be grateful to God. We need to monitor that. But I think that the uh, we should be 
uh, positive about the actions our denomination took. And uh, I, I think that our brothers, in retrospect, left too soon. Let's stand together. Let's pray together. Let's see things through together. Let's not just react that way when we are alarmed. Yeah, I think, um, um, you know, when I study these um, heroes flawed of the, in the faith, but they're heroes, uh, and uh, as we were encouraged to do so, um, there is, um, I mean, they, they battled these issues for a significant amount of time. And, um, and there were markers that they looked for as to whether it was time to leave or not. And we have not arrived at those markers. Secondly, I believe that while, as you've said, it's not nailed shut, I believe it's being nailed shut. I believe, for instance, we just passed two overtures this year that's coming to the General Assembly that basically were the two overtures that failed the year before. And we now failed in one this year that I'm convinced if it comes back next year, even with cosmetic changes, it's going to pass, and that is overture 15. So um, uh, I, am, I am always ready to leave if I have to, but I am not looking to. I was not here at the founding, but I know the founders. I know what they did, what they gave up, what they sacrificed. And I am not going to walk away just because the battle is on. My last comment is, um, I think I made this comment maybe a couple of years ago, but uh, uh, there's a movie that I advise you to wait till you see it on television to uh, bring it down. But, you know, whenever you see Navy SEALs, uh, Recon has to take a look at it. And, uh, and, and that movie, Lone Survivor, Every combat scene, somebody gets hit. Every combat scene, somebody gets hit. And the question is, are you hit? Then comes a second question. Are you still in the fight? Well, just because I get hit, I'm not leaving the fight. It's time to stay in the fight. There's too much at stake. And learn to fight in a way that honors Christ and wins others, even those whom you think are your adversaries. John, you want to give us a final word? This is very public, so I can, I can share it. Um, that St. Andrew's Church in um, Lake Mary, or Sanford, Florida, it has voted with their session to come into the PCA. That's R.C. Sproul's church before he went to, to heaven. And, and so you're talking about a church with uh, several thousand members who have extremely strong convictions confessionally, and they want to come into the PCA. Um, I don't know that they would have wanted to do that two years ago, but they've been encouraged by what they've been seeing and by what the GRN is doing and so on and so forth. Um, I spoke to a gentleman today, uh, the largest church uh, out west, whose session is thinking about coming into the PCA. Um, so that's encouraging, right? It's very encouraging that those who are on the outside are not simply saying, oh, look at the PCA, you know, they're just a big mess, we would never want. These are established, healthy churches saying, we want to come into the PCA. Uh, so I find that encouraging, and let's pray for more of that.
Would you join me in thanking our panelists for, for answering questions today? At this time, we're delighted to have our friend Ike Reeder come and tell us about the important ministry of Briarwood Theological Seminary. Far be it from me to correct the esteemed Mel Duncan, but Birmingham Theological Seminary. So out of Briarwood Presbyterian Church. Uh, so uh, we are excited to be here. And that's an important distinction. It's wonderful. We are so excited to be here and supporting the GRN uh, conference this year. But I do bring out the distinction because uh, BTS Birmingham Theological Seminary uh, was founded in, in 1972 as a partnership between two churches, Edgewood Presbyterian Church and, Bri and Briarwood Presbyterian Church. And many of you will know the names of our two founders, uh, Dr. Frank Barker, one of the founders of the PCA, and Dr. Bill Hay, who uh, brought his congregation over from Edgewood to found Covenant Presbyterian in 1975, which is a wonderful church in the PCA as well there in Birmingham. BTS was founded to be a multi-denominational reformed seminary that uh, was accountable to the local church, but from the local church taught students from a variety of denominations, in particular uh, uh, working to provide avenues for students who had uh, very little access to seminary education. Uh, um, bivocational pastors, pastors with families, uh, pastors who uh, were second career calling, and the opportunity to go to our traditional residential seminaries was really not afforded to them. So at that time, in 1972, uh, Dr. Barker and Dr. Hay founded Birmingham Theological Seminary with the goal of providing faithful, uh, quality, reformed theological education that was accessible for learners everywhere, uh, financially as well as through its delivery systems, to build leaders to serve the local church. Uh, that was the goal from 1972, and it's so exciting now, 51 years later, to say that we are still on that same miss mission uh, and still doing that same ministry. Our everywhere, though, has expanded since 1972 from central Alabama to all around America and even all around the world, where we have over 30,000 students in a free certificate program that we run in partnership with Third Mill Ministries, many of whom, many of you are familiar with them as well. Uh, so we are just incredibly honored uh, to come here today to support the GRN and this conference, primarily because the GRN is not just for pastors, it's also for church members invested in the PCA and in particular, ordained officers are those seeking ordination in the PCA as well. So while we serve the church through its leadership in vocational ministry, we also want to serve the church in its leadership through lay ministry. So there's two programs. We have the full suite of programs from certificate programs all the way through doctoral programs, all of which are available both on-site in Birmingham, Huntsville, Montgomery, uh, Demopolis, Tuscaloosa, uh, and Dothan, Alabama, as well as the work we do at Bibb County Correctional Facility um, and uh, that we do there at the prison ministry. Um, but all those programs are also available online via distance, utilizing digital technologies, live video conference classes, and even now a growing number of micro-learning centers around America where we send professors to teach week weekly or weekend intensives so students can get live classes where they live hosted by local churches with real-world seminary professors. These are real professors who are doing this uh, with passion and commitment for reformed theology. 
But there's two programs in my last minute here that I want to draw your attention to. For those that are pastors, I want you to be aware of our Doctor of Ministry program. We do have a wonderful program. It is entirely available online, but we work in cohorts. So students meet weekly with one another, digging into each other's lives with their time with one another and really truly build relationships with one another. We have several men here who are in those cohorts who would be happy to talk to you about it if you wanted to ask them. We have four tracks in that program, pastoral leadership, biblical counseling, uh, apologetics, as well as um, uh, our new program in church multiplication and vitality that is built around the Lampstand Conference, as many of you are aware, which is the new iteration of Embers to a Flame that works around church vitality. That's a wonderful program. The whole thing comes in at less than $8,000 for students. So if you're interested in that, stop by our booth and talk to us. But the second one uh, that we're very excited about is a program that we're launching uh, this fall. It, it can be started this summer, but this fall particularly, which is a learning certificate geared towards leadership in the PCA, a PCA leadership certificate. It has four classes, has a class on the Westminster Standards, uh, Confession and the Catechisms that serves as a survey of systematic theology, a class on Presbyterian polity, a class on introduction to covenant theology, and the fourth class is conflict resolution in the local church. We believe that these four classes will be an unbelievable resource for elder, deacon training, and for just lay people in the church who want to understand better what it means to be a reformed Presbyterian individual. Every class at BTS that is at the graduate level is $100 per credit hour. So this whole certificate is $800 for four classes. Churches can sponsor students or students can pay for themselves. We can host local micro-learning centers where professors can come teach these classes locally in churches if we have five or more students. Or students can be online with other elders and leaders in the PCA across the country actually learning and growing together. So when they end up in Presbytery together, guess what? They've been learning together. When they end up at the General Assembly together, they've been in class together. These are ruling elders that have this opportunity. So we're incredibly excited about our new PCA leadership certificate. If you're interested in hearing more, just grab us at the booth. We can't wait to tell you. Thanks for your time. Well, Dr. Robertson, we are so uh, glad that you are here. You should have heard the moan this morning when we announced that you weren't going to be here. Uh, it's a joy to have you here with your lovely wife, Joanna. Uh, he hardly needs introduction, uh, but I do want to mention that he is, uh, in case you do not know, a founding teaching elder of the PCA. Uh, and so as we think about the founding of the PCA and, and the values that we want to embrace and see uh, going on to the next 50 years of the PCA, uh, Palmer will be able to speak to these. And so Palmer, if you'll please come forward. And what a wonderful assembly we have here. I, you know, to hear about the seminary coming out of Birmingham, do you understand what's behind that? Do you understand? You have to go back, you know, if you, if you hang around long enough, you can become an eyewitness to history. And I'm an eyewitness to the fact that one of the things that led the old PCUS down the tubes was the seminaries. 
And the seminaries were all denominational seminaries. And it wasn't accidental that when the PCA started, we said, we're going to acknowledge all the different courts of the church. And so a court of the church can be a session. And a session is a proper court of the church to establish a seminary for the training of men for the gospel ministry. And so we have this seminary in Birmingham and what a wonderful ministry it has had. I'm so excited, I think I'm gonna sign up on this new program that you've got, this PCA leadership certificate. That just sounds absolutely wonderful. Yeah. Let's pass the word around to that. Okay, we're back. And so, yeah, those were some great off-the-cuff remarks by Dr. O. Palmer Robertson. Uh, what did you think when he, when he said that? Well, I, I certainly wasn't expecting it. And uh, although BTS has actually had a uh, history with Dr. Robertson, we've partnered with him with his work in Uganda before. And uh, Dr. James, our vice president, has, has taught some classes with him. But that was years ago. So, uh, so his excitement over, <clears throat> over what BTS is doing, not just in terms of the work that we're trying to do to get uh, this level of quality and this level of academic uh, discipleship into the hands of the local church, but also in the, uh, the structure of BTS as well. Uh, I was just kind of blown away to get that great, uh, um, his perspective on it. Yes, yes. And, and I love... I mean, he, you know, he he's talking as a founder who was at the first General Assembly, who mm -hmm. spoke at the first General Assembly, who remembers all that history. And so his perspective on the importance of seminaries having accountability was just a great, it, it was really just a great fit within the whole GRN conference mm -hmm. uh, anyway.